We again want to welcome everyone to our services this morning. If you're visiting with us, we're very happy to have you. And uh, we want to invite you to come back and be with us every opportunity that you have. Uh, we also want to encourage all the visitors to stay and eat with us. After our service here is concluded, we'll continue our fellowship in the fellowship building. And uh, if you'd like to visit more with the Tipton family, I twisted Shannon's arm real hard and uh, he finally said he'd stay and eat. So uh, you'll have that opportunity. We're certainly glad to, to have that family with us, as well as all of our visitors this morning. Years ago, someone gave me a plaque that said, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Christians try our best to live the way that God wants us to live. And yet, we all make mistakes. John wrote in 1 John 1 and verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Two verses later, he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, that is God, a liar, and his word is not in us. Sin is a universal problem. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 says, there is not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin. <clears throat> Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> the Jews thought of themselves as God's special people. And they thought they were better than everyone else. And so Paul deals with that attitude in Romans chapter 3. <clears throat> the first two verses, he writes this. What advantage then has the Jew? What is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Paul had been talking about how they were sinners just like the Gentiles were. He points out that God had given them his commandments. Now look down at verses 9 and 10. Paul asks, what then? Are we, that is the Jews, better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Even the Jews could not claim righteousness because they were sinners just like the Gentiles. No one should ever be arrogant or boastful because we all deserve eternal punishment. Why is it important for all people to be forgiven of sins? Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Isaiah is describing spiritual death. Where death means separation. Physical death is when our spirit is separated from our body. Spiritual death is when we are separated from God. <clears throat> In Romans 6 and verse 23, Paul says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus 
our Lord. When a person becomes a Christian, his sins are washed away in the blood of Christ. God will never remember those sins again. And so he is made alive again spiritually. Paul was writing to the Christians in Ephesus. He said in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, I encourage you to turn to Ephesians 2. We're going to look at a few verses in that chapter. He said in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul was talking when, about when they were separated from God. They were spiritually dead. But God had made them alive. Have you ever thought about what it means to be spiritually dead? What it really means to be separated from God? Paul gives us some important insight in verse 12 of Ephesians chapter 2. He says that at that time, when they were spiritually dead, at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in this world. I want us to take a closer look at the things that Paul tells us are true about those who are dead spiritually. Number one, Paul says they are without Christ. Now that is a huge problem. Because in John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5, there, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And so if we don't have Christ, then we cannot pray to God. Our prayers must be in the name of Jesus Christ by his authority. If we don't have Christ, we cannot pray. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25 says, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The only way to pray to God is through Christ. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. In John 15, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Without Christ, we are nothing. Secondly, Paul says those who are spiritually dead are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, they are not in fellowship with God's chosen people. They're aliens or they're, they are foreigners. But notice what is said about the early Christians, the early church, 
in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. You see, the blood of Christ had washed away their sins when they were baptized, Acts 2 and verse 38. And they were now in fellowship with God once again. The sins that had separated them from God were washed away. Now they are united with God again. In 1 John 1 and verse 7, it says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John says the way we can continue having fellowship with, with God in Christ and one another is that the blood of Christ is constantly washing away our sins as we walk in the light. But those who are living in sin, those who are spiritually dead, are not in fellowship with God, nor are they in fellowship with Jesus Christ. John writes in 2 John in verse 9, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So we must continue living according to God's will in order to have fellowship with them. In John 8 and verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Anytime we stop living according to God's word, then we lose that fellowship with him. In John 15 and verse 6, he said, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and cast them in the fire, and they are burned. The only way to abide in Christ is to continue living by his word. But thirdly, in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, Paul says those who are spiritually dead are strangers from the covenants of promise. God promised Abraham back in Genesis 22, in verse 18, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The Jews thought that if they could trace their ancestry all the way back to Abraham, that they would be saved. John the Baptist said in Matthew 3 and verse 9, Do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. It wasn't important that they trace their ancestry back physically to Abraham. John wanted the people to know that their relationship with God is what's important. Paul taught the same thing in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29. He said, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, who praises, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Sometimes people feel that if they have good parents, they're going to go to heaven. Well, if they're members of a good congregation, they're going to go to heaven. But God judges us individually and not as a group. 
John chapter 8 and verse 39, when the people claimed Abraham as their father, Jesus said to them, if, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. They had the misconception that all it took was being a descendant of Abraham. And Paul dealt with that same misconception in Galatians 3, verses 7 through 9. He said, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Paul told the, the Christians in Galatia, in Galatians 3, verses 26 and 29, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. The fourth thing that Paul says about those who are spiritually dead should really get our attention. Paul says they have no hope. Can you imagine going through life without any hope? As long as they stayed in their present condition, they had absolutely no hope. Again, Jesus said in John 14, in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Paul wrote a letter to the church at Colossae. Colossians 1 and verse 27, he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is not in us, we have no hope of glory. In 1 Timothy 1 and verse 1, Paul begins the letter, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. There is no hope without Christ. In Romans 6 and verse 23, as we've already noted, Paul said the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But fifthly, Paul says those who are spiritually dead are without God in the world. Can you imagine trying to live your life without God in the world? So many people, when they come face-to-face -face with conflicts or troubles. First thing they want to do is pray to God. Imagine trying to go through life without God. A lot of people claim to know God and have a relationship with Him who do not even know Him. 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. John says, by, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And as we already noted, 2 John verse 9 says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and 
the Son. So here in Ephesians 2 and verse 12, Paul gives us a picture of every responsible person who has not obeyed the gospel of Christ. Number one, they're without Christ. Number two, they're aliens or foreigners of God because they don't have any fellowship with him. Thirdly, they're strangers from God's covenants of promise. They don't have a right to expect any spiritual blessing because all spiritual blessings are found in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Fourthly, they have absolutely no hope of heaven in their present condition. And fifthly, they are living without God. The good news is they don't have to remain in that condition. Look again at Ephesians 2 and verse 12 and also verse 13. Paul says at that time when they were dead spiritually, when they were separated from God, at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, the contrast, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They had been separated from God by their sins, but now their sins have been washed away and they are brought back to God. And it happened by the blood of Christ. Look down at verse 19. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see the contrast there? This shows the power of the blood of Christ. People can go from one extreme to the other from being hopelessly lost without God in Christ to be becoming fellow citizens and with the saints and members of God's family. Please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and we'll see more vividly this great contrast. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Here Paul talks about a group of people who were members of the church, part of God's family, who lived in Corinth. Notice with me verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You remember what we said at the very beginning? Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. In this text, Paul tells us that there were Christians, members of the church at Corinth, who had been fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and extortioners. Any of those sins would separate someone from God. Paul said in verse 10 that those who commit those sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
What was it that changed them? We're told in verse 11. First of all, they were washed. They were washed. Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The church is cleansed with the washing of water by the word. In other words, the Lord of God tells us how the church is cleansed. It has something to do with water and what the word says about it. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul writes, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to, he, to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so this washing is a regeneration. In other words, it's a spiritual rebirth. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so this washing that we learn about in the Word of God is a washing of regeneration, and it is being born of water and the Spirit. And that takes place when a person is scripturally baptized into Christ. Saul of Tarsus was told in Acts 22 and verse 16, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3, verses 20 and 21, that once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There's also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the water is not what washes away our sins, but rather it is when our sins are washed away. Water cannot do that. Revelation 1 verse 5 tells us that it is the blood of Christ that washes away our sins. But we contact that blood when we are scripturally baptized into Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So these people who were guilty of all those sins, or some of them at least, were washed. Secondly, Paul says that those who had committed those sins were sanctified. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11. To be sanctified means to be set apart as God's holy people. 
In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2, Paul addressed his letter to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So Christians are those who are sanctified. They've been set apart by the blood of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13 says, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God, from the beginning, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. A person cannot be sanctified unless his sins have been washed away by the blood of Christ, making his soul pure. How do we purify our souls? Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, verses 22 and 23, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Peter says we purify our souls by obeying the truth. In that process, in obeying the truth, he says we are born again. What is it we're to obey? Jesus says in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Have you obeyed Christ by being baptized into him, into him, into his death, thus having your sins washed away by his blood? That's the only way you can be sanctified or set apart as holy. Colossians 1 and verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. But thirdly, Paul says that the Christians in Corinth had been justified. To be justified means it's just as if I had not sinned. A person is justified when his sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. When he obeys Christ by being baptized into his death, buried in water for the remission of his sins, and thus sanctified or set apart from the people of the world. In Romans 3 and verse 24, Paul says, we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The price Jesus paid to redeem us was his own blood. Romans 5 and verse 9 says, much more than having then now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. When we study the Bible, we find that people are saved in the same way. It doesn't matter whether they were really, really good people or really, really bad people. Jesus says, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. These people at Corinth, guilty of some of those sins that Paul enumerated, have been washed. They've been sanctified. They've been justified. The people in Ephesus, who had been dead in their sins, were saved by obeying Jesus Christ. 
In Acts chapter 2, we find Peter preaching to a group of people who had actually crucified the Son of God. Beginning in Acts 2 and verse 36, he told them, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. The same day there added about 3,000 souls to them. Saul of Tarsus, who had severely persecuted Christians, was saved in the same way. He was asked, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22 and verse 16. These people were people who had been pretty, pretty bad, weren't they? Since all of us have sinned, even those who have been basically good need to be saved as well. The Bible tells us about some people like that. In Acts, Acts chapter 8, you may want to turn there, Acts chapter 8, we read about an Ethiopian who had traveled about a thousand miles in a chariot for the purpose of worshiping God. In Acts 8, beginning with verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning this scripture preached Jesus to him. And as they went down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? He had learned about Jesus and he wanted to have his sins washed away immediately. Verse 37, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. Wouldn't you like to go on your way this morning? Rejoicing that the blood of Christ has washed away all of your sins. We read about another good man in Acts chapter 10. Verse 2 tells us that Cornelius was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the poor, and prayed to God always. We learn in Acts 11 verses 13 and 14 that an angel had told him to send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. Now, what do you suppose Peter told them? The Lord sent him there to tell them how they could be saved. What do you think he told them? Acts 10 and verse 48 says, He commanded them to be baptized. And we can look at many other examples in the Bible, and all of them did the same thing. In every case, they believed what Jesus said, and they obeyed him. God loves you, and he wants you to be saved. It doesn't matter how good you've been or how bad you've been. 
Whoever you are, God wants you to be saved. Again, 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to repent and be baptized. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the writer says concerning Jesus that though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author, the giver of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Well, you leave here this morning, having been separated from God by your sins or brought near by the blood of Christ. Will you leave here as a foreigner or an alien to God? Or will you leave here as a fellow citizen and member of God's spiritual family? Will you leave here without the promise of any spiritual blessings? Or will you leave here as a person who is in Christ, able to enjoy all spiritual blessings? Will you leave here this morning without any hope? Or will you leave, leave here with the promise of eternal life in heaven? Will you leave here this morning without God? Or will you leave here having been washed in the blood of Christ? Jesus gave his all for you. He shed his blood for you. He's asking you this morning to surrender to him. Will you give up your own way and accept his will? If you're willing to surrender to Christ this morning, I invite you to come now while we stand and as we sit.